0: boys and girls two-footed podcast on tuesday december 28th brought to you by eplindex.com and our presenting sponsor liberty shield liberty shield is a vpn provider a virtual privacy network allows you to go online change your location access whatever it is you're geo-blocked from while also keeping your data safe check out libertyshield.com. use the code epl599 to get $5.99 $5.99 off your first month. First month, just one quid. No long-term contract. No commitment. Immediate download to your device. LibertyShield.com We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk And finally, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you can find on Etsy, EPL 10, Red 10, get you 10% off at checkout at the respective stores. Right, folks. So, a bit of a weird week, obviously, with, you know, games here and there, COVID, all kinds of nonsense. We had seven games between Boxing Day and yesterday. We have four games today. Three of them will be either on or over by the time you listen to this. Uh, All four of them may well be if you listen to this late tonight. But we have Southampton, Tottenham, Watford, West Ham and Crystal Palace, Norwich all kicking off uh, in about 35 minutes. Team news is out, so let's have a gander. We've got Fraser Forster, uh, Jan Jan Valerie, uh, Bednarak, Salisu and Kyle Walker-Peters. Stuart Armstrong, James Ward-Prowse, Ibrahim Diallo, Roman Perot playing as a winger, uh, Shane Long and Adam Armstrong up front. Interesting. Spurs have gone with Son and Kane up front, Delhi in behind them. That's interesting. Looking forward to seeing that. Emerson and Regulon as the wing-backs. Winx and Heusberg in central midfield, and then Davinson, Dyer and Davies as the back three. Hugo Lloris and Goal. That's a strong Spurs team. You would expect Spurs to win that game. But, obviously, Southampton will come into it with confidence because they beat West Ham the other day. Speaking of West Ham, they play Watford. Watford's team, Backman, Femina, Saralta, Cathcart, Messina, good to see him fit. Kuka, he's not a holding midfielder. He's going to get roasted. Kuko, um, Hernandez and Josh King. Why? Tufan and Sissoko in the middle. And then Emmanuel Dennis up front. Fabianski in goal for West Ham. Uh, Sufal, Dawson, Diop and Johnson. Suchek and Noble. No Declan Rice for West Ham. Uh, Jared Bowen, Lanzini and Ben Rama behind Antonio. Uh, That should be a, a West Ham win. If not concerning for them, they're in a bit of a bad rut at the moment, but that's a game they surely have to win and then finally we get Crystal Palace, Norwich uh, Gaeta in goal, Ward Anderson, Guehi and Mitchell so they've got the first choice back, four in place uh, Schlupp, Coyate and Will Hughes so no Gallagher in midfield and then Mateta, Edward, and A. U. up front, that's not great uh, obviously, Wilf Zaha suspended injuries or COVID. I'm not sure which for Olise and Eze. Uh, Norwich Gun in goal. Byram Gibson Sorensen Gianolis as the back four. That's not pretty. Uh, Lise Malou Gilmore and McLean in midfield. That's pretty good for them. And then Solis a day and Placeta up front. Obviously. Injury there for or or COVID, it could be for Timo Puki, but um, that's the team news for today. I, I will go Tottenham win, West Ham win, Crystal Palace win. We get Liverpool Leicester tonight, and I think a Liverpool win is the safe bet there. Leicester without well, everybody, and Liverpool only really missing Andy Robertson, who's suspended, and Harvey Elliott, who's out long term. Everybody else is back and available. So you'd expect Liverpool to get a comfortable victory there, even though the game is at the King power. Leicester are dreadful at the moment. Their defence is a joke. And Brendan Rodgers doesn't seem to have much idea how to fix things. So those are today's games. Uh, Like I say, the first three are kicking off in about 35 minutes. So uh, you may well have seen them. You may well know the score by the time you listen to this. Let's run through the games. I'm not going to spend too much time on each game. I don't want to do a big, long podcast today. Um, But let's go through the games of Boxing Day and yesterday. West Ham 2, Southampton 3. Big, big shock, obviously. West Ham, who, to be fair, up until about a month ago, were without question the fourth best team in the league, have hit a bit of a drop. And it's come at an unfortunate time for them. They went 1 0 down, El Yonassi on eight minutes, before Mikel Antonio coming off the bench equalised on 49. A James Ward Prowse penalty on 61 put Saints back in front, but Saeed Ben Rama equalised on 64 after good work from Jared Bowen. And then Bednarak on 70, giving Southampton the win. Big win for Southampton, massive win in fact because they had been struggling and obviously they're down in that they were down in that mix at the bottom of the table where one or two defeats here and there could see you get dragged back into the relegation mess but they go to 14th now on the table 20 points from 18 games played teams around them do have a game in hand but they've given themselves a four point cushion on Leeds which is big uh for West Ham they're now sixth Seven points behind Arsenal, though they do have a game in hand on the Gunners. Only one win in their last five. That did come against Chelsea, but back to back defeats now against Arsenal and Southampton. They'll be disappointed. Uh, no, it wasn't Arsenal, Southampton. It was Arsenal, Southampton, excuse me, because obviously they had a game called off in between. That's what it was. Um, yeah, disappointing for them to have hit this poor run at this stage you know they beat Liverpool on December the 7th then they lost to West Ham sorry to, to West Ham To lost to Wolves then they lost to Manchester City that's an expected defeat you're not, you're not expecting to beat City they drew it home with Brighton they'll be disappointed in that one then they beat Chelsea and then it's a draw with Burnley again disappointment a defeat to Arsenal again disappointment out of the EFL Cup, and then defeat by Southampton. So things just rocking a little bit for West Ham. I would imagine there's an element of tiredness has caught up with them a little bit. They've obviously been playing Europa League football. They don't have the biggest squad to begin with, and they do have injury issues. You know, Albana getting hurt was the first big one, and then Zuma gets hurt as well. Sufal has missed a couple of games with injuries and suspension. Johnson's had an injury. Cresswell has been out for a while. So they've had a, a you know a lot of turnover in that back line that just has destabilised the team a little bit. But that's a big win for Southampton. All the credit goes to them. Thought they dealt well with West Ham first half. Second half, West Ham did look quite good once Antonio came on and they played more their normal shape. Bowen had looked like a lost sheep uh, in the first half when he was the one playing up front. Once he went back on the wing, it made more sense. And um yeah, like I say, great win for Saints and on they march. Hopefully hopefully Hassan Hootle can find a little bit of um you know continuity, a little bit of of a settled side. He's had he's had injuries to deal with as well, and it hasn't always helped him now. Tough game today against Tottenham, who beat Crystal Palace 3-0 at the weekend. Uh Harry Kane on 32 minutes. Lucas Moura on 34 minutes. And then Youngman son on 74. Spurs looked really good in this game. Really, really good. Now, they were helped massively by Wilf Zaha getting himself sent off on 37 minutes for two silly yellow cards. But Tottenham can only beat what's in front of them, and they did. Tottenham are in good form again. Four wins and a draw from their last five in the Premier League. That draw was against Liverpool. Now, obviously, they've had a lot of games called off because of their COVID situation. But, you know, since Conte's come in, a draw with Tottenham, they beat Leeds, they beat Brentford, they beat Norwich. These are games they should be getting the results in, but still, they weren't getting them before Conte arrived. Um, Drew at Liverpool beat Tottenham in the... Sorry, beat Tottenham. I can't speak properly today. Beat West Ham in the League Cup. And then beat Crystal Palace at the weekend with a good performance. They move up in the table to fifth. They are six points behind Arsenal. But they have three games in hand. And those games in hand. I mean Burnley, that's a game that they should win. That's a game they will expect to win. Even though it's at Turf Moor. Spurs would expect to win that game. Leicester. That's a game they'll expect to win. Leicester are really poor at the moment. And then Brighton away will be tough, but again, Spurs will expect to go and win that game. And with Harry Kane now looking a bit more lively, a bit more like himself, with Son playing well, and with others contributing regularly, including Lucas Mora now, Winks looks better, Skip looks better, Endembele looks better, Delhi looks like he's got a bit about him again. The defence has started to look more like an Antonio Conte defense. Spurs look a good bet. A good bet for a top four finish. But they will have to overcome Arsenal. Arsenal beat Norwich 5-0. Two from Bakayo Sacco, Kieran Tierney, Alex Lacazette, and Emile Smith Rowe with the goals. Norwich were awful. Absolutely shambolic. But Arsenal played well. And again. Arsenal can only beat what's put in front of them. Now, as I've said before, I think they're fugazi. I don't trust them. One point taken in the league this season in a game in which they've been behind. Zero points in games in which they've conceded the first goal. Those are things that concern me. Four wins against the top 14. That concerns me. Especially when I dig into those wins. I look at Tottenham. That was a team... That was about to collapse. A manager about to get the sack. And in the second half, Tottenham could have gotten a draw. I look at Leicester. Mid-table. Rogers under pressure now. Injuries everywhere. And Aaron Ramsdale had to have the game of his life to secure the win for Arsenal. Aston Villa. They were a mess. Their manager got sacked shortly afterwards. And West Ham in a bad run of form. Missing three of the starting back four. So none of these wins are all that impressive to me. They've got seven wins against the bottom six. That is what Arsenal are. They're a team that beats up on the bottom six. And that's fine. That's a good starting point. And they're starting to look good going forward. Odegaard is playing well. Saka is playing very well. Martinelli's playing well. Smith-Rowe's coming off the bench recently, but he's a big goal threat at the moment. It's not sustainable. It's not what he's going to be in his career. But he's a very, very talented player. And if you've listened to me on this podcast, you know I love Emile Smith-Rowe. I think he's one of the best young players in Europe. I think him, Saka, Martinelli, that's a trio that Arsenal can build around for the long term. Odegaard is part of that. Charlie Patino will be part of that. I would like to see Arteta be braver and try try to get Smith-Rowe, Odegaard, Saka and Martinelli in the team together. And not have one of them come off the bench. To do that, they'd have to play 4-3-3 they'd need a number nine and a holding midfielder. They'd need a Fernandinho-type holding midfielder, a Wilf type Now, they could maybe go and get Wilfendidi, but he'd be very expensive. In terms of a number nine, I mean, if Lacazette was four or five years younger, you'd say, yeah, him, but he's not, and he's going to want big money, and those contracts don't tend to work out too well. They've got something going at the back with Tomiyasu, who's excellent, Tierney, who's excellent, Gabriel, who's excellent, I have major doubts over Ben White. But they do own Saliba, who they can bring that back next season. And I think he's going to be excellent. Again, the goalkeeper is not one that I'll trust. Certainly not based on what I've seen over the course of his career. Having a good season, no question about it. But not one I'm going to trust until I see two to three seasons of this. When I see two to three seasons of this, then you'll have me. But so far, I've seen three seasons of you being absolutely desperate. And half a season have you been... Good, not great. Very much for the cameras. Um, speaking of for the cameras, Brendan Rogers loves the camera. But his Leicester team got beaten 6-3 by Manchester City. City were four up after 25 minutes. And this looked like it could be 10. Kevin De Bruyne scored on five. Riyad Mahrez scored a penalty on 14. Bit of a soft one. Bit of a soft one. Laporte went down very easily under a challenge in the box from Yuri Thielemans. Uh, Gundogan took advantage of Shambolic defending the score on 21, and then Raheem Sterling brought down again by Uri Thielemans uh, on 25 steps up and scores his own penalty. Second half, Leicester came out and looked completely refreshed, completely revitalised, and Ruben Diaz looked like he'd won a raffle to play in this game. They just kept exposing him over and over and over again. Uh, Madison scored the first on 55. Very, very good goal. Really well worked, well taken. Adamola Luckman scored on 59. Great work from Iheanacho there. Iheanacho really is becoming a tremendous all-round player. He might not become the 25-goal-a-season player. He looked like he might be when he was young. But as that sort of false nine or second striker, I think he's absolutely devastating. Great hold-up play. Good feet. Good passer of the ball. Clever, hard-working. Can finish himself as well, obviously. And then Ianacho himself got the third on 65. And Sydney were reeling. Leicester looked like they could carve them apart at any time. Brighton should have scored. He had a header from about six yards out. Now, he made a complete hash of it. And it went about eight yards wide. Uh, Iheanacho had a good chance from a quick free kick from Madison... Set him through Ederson, too, is credited really well to come out and save. But Leicester really did have City on the ropes. And I've said this before if teams attack this City team, there's a soft centre to it. They're not as good as their defensive record suggests they are. Teams are scared of them. And understandably so. Teams are terrified of them. But if you go at this City team, if you play with no fear, You will cause some problems. In the end, City would run away with it. Sterling on 87. Uh, Laporte, sorry, on 69. Sterling on 87. Laporte's goal kind of put the game to bed. Sterling's was just the icing on the cake. The Laporte one kind of killed the comeback in Leicester. But Leicester have Liverpool tonight, so that's not going to be fun for them. Uh, Aston Villa won Chelsea 3 A fairly good performance from Chelsea, it must be said. Villa never really in the game. Uh, A Rhys james own goal, a bad Matty target cross. There was nobody in the box. And Rhys James took it upon himself to bullet a header uh, into his own net from about 20 yards. A tremendous header. If he did it at the other end, it would have been one of the goals of the season. Um, Remember the Suarez header for Liverpool against West Brom years ago? It's probably the best-headed goal I've seen since that. Unfortunately for Rhys James, it's just the wrong end. But six minutes later, Chelsea are back in the game. Uh, Callum Hudson-Odoi brought down in the box by Manny Cash. And Jorginho steps up, hop, skip, and a jump. And it's 1-1. Into the second half, Romelu Lukaku off the bench. hudson Odoi's is cross. Tyron Mings, I don't even know what he's doing. I have no idea what he was doing here. He seemed to decide that he was going to try and body-check Lukaku, who just ran through him. He made no effort to get the ball. Lukaku ran right across him. Great header, great goal. Chelsea 2-1 up. And then in stoppage time, it's another Chelsea penalty. It's another hop, skip, and a jump. And Jorginho has his second of the game. 3-1 was a fair reflection of the game. Uh, Chelsea just were the better side. I thought Callum Hudson-Odoi had one of his better games for Chelsea. I thought he looked really, really dangerous. Uh, Crazy fact of the day. Callum Hudson-Odoi made his Premier League debut in the 17-18 season. And he has played 67 times for Chelsea. 67 times. He got his 10th Premier League assist in this game. Now, you might... Say, well, you know, it's not all that impressive to take 67 games to get 10 assists. And you're right, it's not. But what is impressive is when you figure, well, it's impressive for him, less impressive <clears throat> for them. Callum Hudson-Odoi has only played 3,012 minutes in the Premier League. That means his average Premier League appearance is like 45 minutes. It's insane that Chelsea have done this to one of the most talented young players in Europe. 3,012 minutes. It's shambolic, really. And up until Tuchel arrived, it was a disgrace how little he'd played. Now, I know he had the injury. I know he had the... What was it he had? He had an Achilles injury. But still, there's no excuse for him to have played that little. He is such a gifted player. And you do wonder if he was just at another Premier League club. What could he accomplish? He is such a sensational player. I mean, you look at... take for example Emil Smith Rowe he's played about 500 minutes more than than Hudson-Odoi this season last season he played about 400 minutes more and Emil Smith Rowe you know he's only got i think 2600 minutes under his belt but he didn't make his debut till the 1920 season in the Premier League he it's just it's disappointing to see how Chelsea have managed Hudson-Odoi. Because there's a lot of people who saw him and Sancho when they were 14, 15, 16, and said Hudson-Odoi is the more talented player. Now, admittedly, Sancho's not doing very well at United, but at the same time, Sancho just moved for 75 million-plus add-ons, and Hudson-Odoi has largely been, you know, a fringe squad player at Chelsea. It's disappointing. I'd like to see him play more. If he doesn't play more for Chelsea, he's got to try and get himself out of there. Um, Brighton 2, Brentford 0. Not a p- particularly great game of football, but some decent stuff was played. Uh, Leandro Trossard and Neil Mopé scoring for Brighton. Both very, very good goals. Uh, the Trossard one is, is really interesting. So Mopé clips the ball over the top. And Trossard runs onto it, just lift, kind of lifts it over um, Alvaro Fernandez. Really good finish. Mope's goal, it's a great team goal. Jakob Motor does brilliantly um, sets up on the edge of the box and he bangs at home. It's a tremendous goal. Brighton had a lower XG in this game than Brentford and managed to win, which is unusual for them. But I, I did enjoy this game, I have to say. I did enjoy this game. I thought there was some good football played at times. Um, I worry a little bit about Brentford, I have to say. There's just... The lack of Premier League calibre players is starting to tell a little bit more frequently now. I mean, Brighton are up into ninth. They'll be thrilled. They still have two games left to go to complete the first half season. And they've got 23 points. They, they'll they be thrilled. They're, what, two points behind Wolves with a game in hand. Five behind United with the same amount of games played. Five behind West Ham with a game in hand. So they're, they're overachieving this season. That's their first win as well, remember, since mid-September. So huge for them to finally get a victory. Brentford will be fine. They will stay up, but They're going to need work in the summer. They really are. There's just... There's a few players that I thought would step up a little bit better and haven't. And Buemo's one um, who hasn't stepped up this season the way I had hoped. Um, Just looks a little bit out of his depth at times. Jensen doesn't look entirely comfortable at the Premier League level. Ethan Pinnock, I think, is getting found out a little bit. Um... I think they're going to need work in the summer if they want to survive next year. But look, they're they're going to be happy with 13. 20 points from 17 games. They will be happy with that. There's no doubt about it. Just one to keep an eye on for for the longer term. Um, What else do we have at the weekend then? Oh, yeah, we had yesterday's game. Um, Newcastle United won. Manchester United won. I. I don't even know how, where to start with this one. Newcastle batted them. like Newcastle were by far the better team. Ralph Raniak sent out a really weird team. He picked a lot of Tellez as his fullback. They don't really have a problem with that. Varane and Maguire, and that's okay. McFred, I mean, it's not okay, but it is what he has. Then he picked Rashford as one of his kind of two number tens, and Bruno was the other. Uh, Greenwood and Cristiano Ronaldo up front and just it was horrible, it didn't work at all they didn't press well, they didn't pass well, nobody really seemed to know what they were meant to be doing, the shape didn't work none of it worked, absolutely none of it worked, now in part it didn't work because Newcastle were set up well and played really well St Maximum caused United loads of problems, Jolington was outstanding. Jolington was the best player on the pitch. And frankly, it wasn't all that close. Emil Kraft played brilliantly as well. And I've been saying for an age, Emil Kraft is a good right back. You don't need to sign a right back. Just play Emile Kraft. Don't ask him to bomb forward. Let him be a defensive right back and he'll be really good for you. And wouldn't you know it. Uh, Jolington was just brilliant though. Box to box, beating players on the dribble, winning the ball back endlessly, good pressing, good passing. Jolington is a good footballer. Like, that's the thing. He is a good footballer. He's always been a good footballer. The problem is Newcastle thought they were buying a big target man striker because he's like 6'3". Newcastle thought... He's a target man. We're going to get him, a big fella up front, and we're going to pump the ball up to him as much as we can. It's just never been his role, ever. Jolington is... A poor man's Firmino is a bit disrespectful, but that's kind of what he is. He's a lesser Bobby Firmino. He's the guy you play as your centre-forward with licence to drop deep, to drop wide, To create space for two goal-scoring players either side of him. He's not the guy you buy to be your goal-scorer. If you put Jolington in the Liverpool team. With Salah and Mane either side. He'd make a ton of sense. If you put him in the United team. With say Greenwood and Rashford either side. He'd make a ton of sense. He'd make a ton of sense at City. When you play him up front in his own, he looks abysmal. And him and Sebastian Hilar both arrived at the same time in England. And I've always thought if they'd gone to the opposite clubs, they would have done better. Because West Ham didn't really know how to use Sebastian Hilar. And Newcastle have had no clue how to use Jolington. But if Newcastle had had Hilar, I think that would have worked a lot better. And if West Ham had had Jolington up front alongside Antonio, that would have worked a lot better. Jolington's a good footballer; he always has been. And by the way, whatever arsehole on Sky last night, oh, who opened with, frankly, I didn't know you were this good. How dare you? How dare you disrespect him? He's just put in the game of his Newcastle career. And you're talking about it like that. The question was, Jolington, do you think this was the best game of your Newcastle career? That's the question. Leave it there. Let him say what he wants. Not, I didn't know you were this good. You arsehole. Oh, it really, really annoyed me. Sky's coverage over the last couple of days has really bugged me anyway. Um, but that was shocking, absolutely shocking. And I hope someone has a word with whoever that was. Whoever that was, someone needs to have a word with him, give him a, a slap or something. Um, Newcastle played really well and deserved the win. And unfortunately, they didn't get it. So said maximum to put them one up after seven minutes. Comical defending Varane, God knows what he was doing, and Harry Maguire. I 80 million. 80 million. This guy has played absolutely horrendous football against Watford and Newcastle. Now, he is a shambles. 80 million. He's, he's not even a top 10 centre back in the league. They paid from him like he was the best centre-back in the world. Oh, lads. Who makes these decisions? Seriously. United needed a 57-year-old Edinson Cavani to come off the bench and rescue them. As Ranyik, who, remember, you'll remember, he's the guy who made Klopp and Tuchel. Remember that now. They'd be nothing without him. He's the guy coming to just completely change United. And you'll remember after they pressed for about 15 minutes against Crystal Palace, we were told, Geggin pressing has come to Old Trafford. They wouldn't press their trousers, lads. My God, this was abysmal. So Ranyik, who gets his team selection wrong, gets his shape wrong, gets his system wrong, what he does is he reaches for his mentor. For the man who really inspired him, Oli Gunnar Solchair. And he just throws on a load of attackers. Because that's apparently how you fix an inability to score goals. You don't tweak anything. You just throw on some attackers. So he threw on Sancho, he threw on Gavani, and by God that they hope for the best. And at the end it was still Newcastle who should have won the game. Still Newcastle having the bigger chances. De Gea made two to his credit, two great saves. Uh, St Maximum now should never have given him the chance to make the save but make it he did and whatever but United were awful, absolutely shocking, so Ranić's three Premier League games in charge, Crystal Palace, Palace should have been at least one up and then Palace were actually really bad in the second half Norwich who are awful should have gotten a result against them, 1-0 and then this completely outplayed by Newcastle Um, I thought it was funny that Eddie Howe came out after the game and said we were tactically excellent. He's basically giving himself all the credit for it. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo was a disgrace. His performance was appalling. And then he stormed off after the game without acknowledging the fans at all. Bruno Fernandes properly got on my wick last night, moaning and whinging about everything. Fair play to Gary Neville for calling them out. Um, And he spoke about senior players, but he failed to mention the fact that United's captain one Harry Maguire, is the worst player in that team by a considerable margin. He failed to mention that. Now, I've said before, Cristiano Ronaldo was the wrong signing at the wrong time. He has a negative impact on the players around him. Greenwood doesn't play well with him. Bruno doesn't play well with him. Rashford doesn't play well with him. You swap him out in that lineup. if you take Cristiano out and put Sancho in, and put Rashford and Greenwood as the front two, and Sancho and Bruno behind them, I guarantee United look a thousand times better. Because they have players playing for each other, not for themselves. Cristiano only plays for himself. And he has been poor. He has been poor all season. Gary Neville wants you to believe he's one of the signings of the season. He's been awful. He has been awful. Yes, he has scored goals. 13 goals, I believe, for Manchester United so far since joining. But look at what he does when he doesn't score. Look at how bad he is. Look at how bad he is even in the games where he does score. He United need him to bail them out of positions they're in because of him. Because they play with 10 men when he plays. People talk about him like he's one of the best players in the league. The Athletic had him in their top 10 players in the Premier League. He's not one of the five best Portuguese players in the league. In fact, I would say he is the number seven Portuguese player in the league. Bernardo Silva is one. Bruno Fernandes is two. João Canseo is three. Jota is four. Diaz is five. And Ruben Neves is six. All of them are better footballers than him in 2021. Yes, he may score some goals against the Dross. But what does he bring to the team other than that? Like, what does he actually do if he's not scoring goals? He doesn't create chances for anyone else. The only chances he creates are for himself. Doesn't work hard for the team doesn't make runs to help the rest of the team. He just sort of stands about. So this season, he scored one against young boys, who would probably struggle in the championship. He scored uh, two against Villarreal in two different games. They're mid-table in La Liga. He scored three in two games against Atalanta. Where are Atalanta in Syria at the moment? Fourth. Fourth in Syria. Now remember, Milan are second and Liverpool beat them with their reserves. So that will tell you where Syria is at the moment. Uh, In the Premier League, he scored two against Newcastle. He scored one against West Ham. One against Spurs. Two against Arsenal. And won against Norwich. So he didn't score against Villa. And they lost. He didn't score against Everton. And they drew. Didn't score against Leicester. And they lost. Didn't score against Liverpool. And they lost. Uh, didn't score against City. And they lost. Didn't score against Watford. And they lost. Didn't score against Chelsea. And they drew. they didn't score against Newcastle. And they drew. And he did score, didn't score against Palace, and they won one nil with a, a fluke from Fred. So that's what he's done so far. He he scored in one, two, three, four, five, five Premier League games. He has scored goals in, and in the rest of them, United that he hasn't scored in. United have lost five and drawn three and won only one. So if he doesn't score, what does he do for the team? I genuinely would love to know. What does he do for the team if he's not scoring a goal? Answers on a postcard. But for me, at best, he's the seventh best Portuguese player in the league. And if you think he's a top 20 player in the league, you're absolutely deluded. Absolutely beyond deluded. And living in the past. He's a negative impact player. I'm going to take a break. When we come back, I've got a few bits to run through. Nothing too hectic. We'll be done fairly quickly. Seen a few. Right, welcome back. So, uh, I was sent a little task to do. Um, I want to get this right because I want to give them credit. So, there are some fellas running a podcast called the Beer Parlor Podcast at the B B B P Pod, the BP Pod on Twitter. So, create your own. Christmas Dream team from the following teams Um, and this got sent to me by a few different people so they have said you can pick an 11 from Brighton, Chelsea Crystal Palace, Brentford Aston Villa Burnley, Leeds Watford Wolves, Everton and West Ham you can only use players from those teams so I've picked one from each team to make up my 11. I had to cheat a little bit. Um, so from Villa, I've gone for Emmy Martinez. I think he's been one consistent factor for them this season. Uh, from Chelsea, I went for Rhys James. From Brighton, I went for Trossard. From Crystal Palace, I went for Conor Gallagher. Brentford, Pontus Janssen. Burnley, Max Cornett. Leeds, Rafinha. Wolves, Aitnuri. Watford, Emmanuel Dennis. Everton, De and West Ham, Rice. So what I've got as an eleven, I've got Eni Martinez in goal. Reese James right back. I've put Declan Rice at centre-back next to Pontus Janssen just to balance the team. Uh, and Ray Nuri at left-back. So I'm happy enough with that. I've got Gallagher and Ducoury in central midfield. And then I've got Trossard, Rafinha and Cornet behind Emmanuel Dennis. I think that will be a lot of fun, that team. I think it'll be very, very interesting. Midfield will be very dynamic. Full-backs, both very good going forward, both aggressive. And I like the front four. Trossard, Rafinha, Cornet, and Dennis. I don't know what Declan Rice would be like as a centre-back. And I'm not a huge Pontus Janssen fan, but I had to have somebody from Brentford. So that's what I've got. That is what I've got. Now, I think that's a pretty good team. But obviously, it is the halfway point of the season, and people are doing their their you know half season teams and whatever else. And I note that Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher um, have they, they did theirs on Sky last night. Um so Carragher went with Ramsdale, Trent, Van Dyke Rudiger Canseo, Gallagher Rice Silva, Sala Jota Foden. Neville went with Allison Diaz Van Dyke Rudiger, Trent Rodri Rice Canseo. Sala Jota Foden He didn't pick Bernardo Silva in his team that is absolutely mind-blowing to me Bernardo Silva has been sensational Now Mine would be Jose Sa I'm not a fan at all and I think he like Ramsdale is having a great run of form but I don't buy it but I think Jose Sa has been the best keeper in the league thus far this season Trent is obviously the right-back. Canseo is obviously the left-back. I don't know what Ruben Diaz is doing there. I'm a little bit unsure as to to Rudiger. I've seen him have a couple of really shaky games this season. Van Dijk, has he been as good as he was pre-injury? No. But he's still been outstanding and he is working his way back and he is getting better as the weeks go by. But I'm not sure on, um, you know, the centre back choices. If Zuma hadn't gotten hurt, I would have said he should be in because I think he has been tremendous. I think Romain Sice has been excellent and worth a mention. I'm not putting him in my team, but I think he has been pretty good. Well, he's been better than pretty good. He's been he's been tremendous. Um Do you know what? I'll I'll just take I'll just go Diaz and Van Dijk just to to move on. Midfield Rodri has to be in. Bernardo Silva has to be in. You cannot have a team of the half season so far without those two. They've been amazing for Man City. The third midfield position, I think there is some debate. Conor Gallagher has been brilliant for Crystal Palace. Declan Rice has been excellent for for West Ham. You could absolutely go with either of them. You could absolutely pick either of them, and they're both fine um, inclusions. I'd go Gallagher just for the balance in midfield, but I can fully understand the selection of Declan Rice. Salah and Jota, I think that's fair. I'm just not sure about Foden. Like, he has been great, don't get me wrong. But I think Mason Mount might be a better pick. Based on the season so far, I do think Mason Mount might be a better pick. So I'll go. You could play Mount in midfield either, I suppose. I'll go Mount, Jota, and Salah. Or you could put Bernardo into the front three and put. The guy mentioned Rafinha. He has been tremendous, but I mean, he's surrounded by Drek. Surrounded by utter dreck. At Leeds right now. And, and I I think he just needs to find himself. Out of there as soon as possible. Um, Jamie Carragher also posted up. Some of the predictions that they made before the season. So to win the league they both picked. Manchester City. So right now City are top. That looks like a decent shot. Uh, they went both went Chelsea second. Carragher had Liverpool to finish third. Neville had United to finish third. Uh, United are currently seventh. And 13 points behind Liverpool and Chelsea. So that's going well. Um, Neville had Everton to overachieve. They're currently 15th. 19 points. Uh, Carragher had Brighton. Um, I would say the biggest overachievers thus far, though, have to be Wolves. But look, if Brighton win the game in hand, they will go ahead of Wolves, so that's definitely one that's still up there for him. Uh, underachievers, well, N- Carragher picked United, and he was right. And Neville picked Arsenal, who are fourth. Uh, goal scorer Carragher went for Salah. Uh, he is the top goal scorer in the league. Neville went for Romelu Lukaku. An interesting pick. Definitely one of the start of the season that looked like a possibility. Uh, Rom is obviously one of the best number nines in Europe, whether he's shown it this season or not. But he has four goals in the Premier League this season. Now, I would put a lot of that down to the fact that Chelsea are just weird going forward. Such a strange team. Jorginho is their top goal scorer in all competitions with nine. I think they've all been penalties, haven't they? Mount has seven. Rom has six. Werner has five. Reese James has five. Kai Havertz has four. They get a lot of goals from all over the pitch. It's just that they don't have that reliable goal scorer when push comes to shove. That's the concern. Um, Young Talents. Carriger picked Emil Smith Rowe. Yeah, that's worked out well. Uh, now they'll pick Kai Havertz. Hasn't so much. I'm also not sure you can read. I know he is still a young player. He's only 22. But I mean, the guy costs 75 million. I'm not sure he can be your young talent. It really should be someone that's kind of breaking through from an academy point of view. Um, one to watch. And neither of them did particularly well here. Carragher went. Sancho. Neville went. Varane. Right. Poor Gary. Poor Gary. It's it's been a tough little time for him. It, he really has had a shocker with those. He's also had a bit of a shocker with his uh, with his team of the half season. Um. We have confirmed news today that Ferran Torres has joined Barcelona. He has done his initial unveil thing, a little video on social media. Uh, Best of luck to him. He is the, I believe, the eighth most expensive signing in Barcelona history now. So, uh, Coutinho's number one flop. Dembele's number two flop. Griezmann is three, flop. Neymar is four, success. Zlatan is five, flop. Suarez is six, success. And Pjanic is seven, flop. So five of their... Oh, sorry, Frankie de Jong as well. So Frankie de Jong is in that group as well. He's actually ahead of a couple of those. So Ferran is the ninth most expensive signing in Barca history. Two of them have been a success. Neymar and Suarez. Frankie, at best, is a push. Nobody can claim he's been a success. But I wouldn't say he's been a flop. But Griezmann, Coutinho, Dembele, Zlatan and Pjanic. All flops. All of them. Barca don't really do well with spending the money. So fingers crossed for Ferran. That things work out a little bit better for him. Than they have for some of those other fellas. Uh, Crystal Palace are currently one nil up against Norwich. Odson, Edward with the penalty. To push, put Palace ahead. Will Hughes brought down. In the box. And Emmanuel Dennis. Actually. There's your third forward. There's your third forward. Not Mason Mount. There's your third forward in a Premier League team this season so far. It's Salah. It's Jota. It's Emmanuel Dennis. He is having an unbelievably good season. What a signing he has been. Or... Watford club who do the strangest strangest things now they're obviously about to lose him to AFCON which is a devastating blow for them but he has been absolutely magnificent for them all season hugely versatile can play anywhere in the front four creator scorer good pace worries defenders eight goals and five assists in, what are we talking here, 1,200 minutes? That's really impressive. Really, really impressive from Emmanuel Dennis so far. Watford paid, was it 4 million? It was something along the lines of 4 million for him. They are going to make that back many times over when they sell him. So, yeah, Emmanuel Dennis is your third forward in the team of the half season. We leave it as Gallagher, Rodri and Bernardo in midfield. Um, What other news do we have today? Ralph Raniak had himself a bit of a tantrum after last night's game. Uh, Newcastle dangerously close to being unable to field a team as Callum Wilson faces months out. That's not good. He did obviously have to go off yesterday. And it really, really didn't look all that promising. It really didn't look all that promising. So, um, fingers crossed. Now, obviously, the transfer window opens in a couple of days. So, they'll they'll be busy. They'll go out and and try and get players in. But say Maxim went down and he went off as well. And there was nobody around him when he went down, so that's not great. Worrying times for the turn. I mean, worrying anyway because they're well, they're awful, and they're in the bottom three for a reason. But if they can't even get a, a team together, who knows what they're going to be putting out in the coming games? Um, won't do all the gospel, just do a couple of days worth. Welsh international. Gareth Bale and Spanish midfielder Isco are the main candidates to leave Real Madrid in January. Unless they're giving them away for free, I don't know what they're going to do. Real Madrid are increasingly confident in signing Kylian Mbappe. His he says his future will not be decided until March. I think his future is already decided. Real also expect Antonio Rudiger to join them on a free transfer. I mean, that's a, just a bad signing, frankly. Um. Ruben Neves has emerged as Ralph Ranić's latest target for United's midfield. They're not going to give the man 60 70 million to spend when he's not going to be there after the summer. Simple as that. Ferran Torres is in Spain and will have his medical. Yeah, but that's done. Uh, Edinson Cavani is a target for Barcelona. And the Catalans have made seven players available. Now, it'll be the likes of Coutinho and that that nobody wants. Manchester United are targeting four promising German players Florian Wirtz, Luca Nets, Eric Martal, and Armel Bella Kochup. Oh, Jesus, wept. Ralph Ranjic is not going to be allowed to spend that kind of money. Like, Florian Wirtz is going to cost 60 million. Ainsley Maitland Niles is set to leave Arsenal to join Roma on loan. That's an interesting move. Bubakar Kamara is on Newcastle's shortlist. Rafinha is unlikely to make a January move. Everybody knew he wasn't making a January move. Uh, David Moyes interest in signing Lloyd Kelly from Bournemouth. Thomas Tuchel has suggested Conor Gallagher will return to Stamford Bridge at the end of the season. He should ask to leave, to be fair. Uh, former Chelsea and England captain John Terry is set to return to the club to help with youth development. I really don't know that John Terry is the player you want around your youngsters. It's funny that he left Aston Villa to pursue a career in management and not one club have shown any interest in him. Um, Leeds chairman Andrea Radrazzani admits the club may need to sell key players to achieve its long-term goals. That would be Rafinha and Calvin Phillips, I'd imagine. Tottenham are leading the race to sign Frank Kessie. He'd be interesting there. He really, really would be interesting there. Uh, Newcastle boss Eddie Howe does not want to make a move for Delhi alley This is from Football Insider. Uh, I'd imagine Delhi Alli does not want to make a move to Tottenham or to, to Newcastle. Is the real reason. Chelsea are ready to compete with Liverpool to sign Rafinha in the summer. Uh, right. Ralph Raniak says no club has yet to sh- as as yet has as yet shown interest. In Anthony Martial, but yet there are other reports that United have turned down a loan offer from Sevilla. Real Madrid are interested in Reece James and could try to tempt the Blues by offering Eden Hazard. Right, brilliant. Uh, Tottenham are in are interested in Juventus and United Mid- United States midfielder Weston McKennie. Um, he'd be interesting. I'd like to see him in the Premier League. I would like to see him in the Premier League uh, Premier League. Real Madrid's priority is to sign Erling Haaland. But the Spanish club are also looking at Dusan Vlavic if they miss out. Makes sense. Uh, Callum Hudson-Odoi is a target for Lazio, who are managed by former Blues boss Maurizio Sarri. Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't really make sense. Lazio aren't going to have that type of money, but, you know, it is what it is. Barcelona want to offload Phil Coutinho and his preferred option is a switch to Arsenal. I have great doubts about that. Uh, Ainsley, Maitland, Niles, yada, yada. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, French club Lille want at least 30 million euros for Sven Bottman. suppose. Andrea Bellotti is set to leave Torino when his contract to Serie A side runs out with AC Milan, Napoli and Fiorentina all interested. So if you want a prime example of how not to run a football club, uh, look no further than Torino. So cast your mind back a few years. Andrea Bellotti has just had an outstanding season, scoring 26 goals in 35 Serie A matches. It's the summer of 2017, and there's money everywhere. Clubs are throwing the stuff around. Like it's going out of fashion. And Torino were getting offers. Of 50 and 60 million pounds. For Bellotti. And what do they do? They slap a 100 million pound. Price tag on his head. And say we're not selling for any less than that. Well now. Five years later. You're going to lose him for free. He's yet to rediscover that same form. He's had a couple of good seasons. And a couple of okay seasons. But he's yet to be great like he was great in that one season. And you cost yourself a whole bunch of money. So, well done. Well done. Uh, I do very much like Andrea Bellotti. I would be interested to see him in the Premier League. Uh, I think he'd fit a number of clubs quite well. Um, So, yeah, one to keep an eye on. And that will be me for today, folks. That will do. I will see you all tomorrow. No, not tomorrow. I won't be here tomorrow. I'll be back Thursday. Uh, any more updates on the games before we go? No, still Palace one, Norwich nil, Watford one, West Ham nil, and Tottenham and Southampton is nil nil. So we'll leave it there. I will see you tomorrow uh, Thursday. Take care of yourselves. Bye bye. network.